you know, talking about what we're uh, looking at here, um, I was drawn to this verse. A quick recap of what we talked about. Bruce Olson was a shy 14-year-old who loved books and languages, and at, at 14, he began to teach himself Hebrew and Greek and Latin, and he was 1954. He grew up in a strict home, and when he became a Christian at six, 16, his father would mock his newfound faith. At his new church, he heard a missionary from New Guinea speak about how there are people in the world dying to hear the message of Jesus Christ, the very hope for their lives. And Bruce felt a call to go to South America, but still he pursued his studies and he entered college. But he knew he was being asked to go to South America to work with the natives there. He, he knew it. So what he ended up doing is he quit school and he hopped on a plane with $70 and, and flew to Venezuela. He didn't know any Spanish, but he was able to pick that up shortly after his arrival. He met a doctor there who worked with the Indians on the uh, Orinoco River. That's the name of that river. <laughs> Rudy and I were like, are we going to get these names right? I hope we do. He said that he was going for a two-month journey, and, and he asked if he would take him along. Well, the doctor dropped him off with the tribe along the river that spoke kind of a broken Spanish. This thing really echoey. No, you're all right. It's just my head. <laughs> okay. There were missionaries there who worked, um, who worked there, but they rejected Bruce's arrival when he came. He had no mission agency and no church backing. He just wanted to help the Indians. And after a month and a half, Bruce concluded, a month and a half, he concluded that he didn't like it there very much. And so the doctor picked him up and brought him back to the city where Bruce found his way to Caracas where he met the head of the Department of Health. And he hired Bruce to teach English to med students who were learning jungle medicine. And after months, Bruce's boss asked him if he was serious about going to work with the Indians. Bruce said he was. Then they had a conversation that changed his life. They talked about a tribe called the Motolones. No one knows anything about them except they are brutal. They've killed or wounded every white man they've ever seen. And they're isolated. Within a week, Bruce was back on a bus to the jungle. He was going to the Motolones. He made his way back into the jungle and he was met with piercing arrows by a new tribe, the Motolones, so he thought. Well, he spent four months learning the language and then he learned they weren't the Motolones at all. They called themselves the Yukas. He then spent several months trying to convince them to bring him to the Motolones. Finally, after being taken from one tribe of the Yukas to the next, he finds a group that would take him. And after days of days of walking in the jungle with a couple of Yukas, Bruce finally meets a Motolone. And running for his life, the large shaft of an arrow hits him in the thigh. Three motolones surround him, and the one who shot the arrow yanked it from Bruce's leg. And within, there was a rush of blood, and Bruce noticed pieces of muscling, muscle dangling out of his leg. The motolones brought him there, took him to, to their home, a huge beehive-like structure, took him inside and threw him down on a mat. He lay there for a month before being compelled just to get up and leave. He hobbled to the river and followed it into the mountains. For four days, he walked with nothing except a few bananas until he came to a place where he heard an axe hitting a tree. He saw two farmers running to him, and he collapsed. The farmers gave him some food and brought him inside. Later, he asked how far it would be to get to the town that he originally departed from. They had never heard of it. Where's the closest town, Bruce asked. Rincon Honda, they said. Columbia? I'm in Columbia? He said, and he asked for a map so he could retrace where he had been the past two years of his life. Looking at the map, his eyelids got heavy, and he fell asleep. Ready? He woke up late the next day, and the colonists took him to town. 
There he bought new shoes and khaki pants and a shirt. He wanted to get to Bogota, the capital, but he only had enough money to get halfway, so he bought a plane, uh, train ticket and he boarded to go halfway. He wasn't sure if he'd he actually even get to Bogota, but once he did, he knew he would be able to get his bearings straight. At one town, the train stopped and the military boarded, apparently looking for dissidents. Where are your papers, the man asked, holding a gun. I don't have papers. I've been in the jungle, he said. Apparently, the man didn't believe him and called his commanding officer in Bogota. They gave Bruce a meal, and the commander said that it would be good to send this suspicious man all the way to Bogota for questioning. So the army fed him and brought him to his destination. <laughs> in Bogota, Bruce tried to convince the soldiers that he had been in Motolón territory. Finally, they sent him to the head of the Indian Commission in Colombia. Bruce told them about his experience with the Yukas, and the man checked with an anthrop anthropologist, and his story checked out. Then the man met Bruce again and told him that he believed his story, and then he assumed legal responsibility for Bruce. He gave him money and helped him find a place to stay. Well, Bruce spent a month in Bogota and attended a church there, and at the church he met Mr. Martin, an oil executive from the States. Mr. Martin introduced, himself, introduced him to the head of the Colombian Petroleum. Bruce told him the story, to which the gentleman replied, anyone can fly over the territory and see it. Disgusted, Bruce started to leave when the man asked, do you want to go back? Yes, he answered. In two days, we have a plane leaving for the area if you'd like to go. Thank you, said Bruce. I'd like that very much. Well, the jungle seemed strange again. This time, he had brought three books, including a Bible and a lot of goodies. He knew it would be dangerous to walk right into a Motolone camp, so he camped at a juncture of three known Motolone trails. He had enough food for a week, and that day, he walked the trails, and he left gifts for them. At one spot, he left a brightly colored cloth, and then he left axes flying, lying flat on the trail. He was told before he left that the Motolones would put arrows pointing down, sticking out of the ground, and it would be a sign of war to whoever it was for. So he laid the axes flat. A week went by, and he ran out of food. He, finished, he fished a nearby river and checked on his gifts. They were still there. Two weeks went by, nothing. A month went by. He got frustrated. The very next day, he went to check on his gifts. They were gone. He left more gifts, but this time, and this time there was a bow and arrow. They were exchanging gifts. It was exhilarating. Each day his gifts were gone, and then he went back to leave more, and he found four arrows sticking straight up out of the ground. The Motolones didn't want him there. Then he had an idea. He pulled the arrows out of the ground, and he laid them flat, and he put his gifts on top of them. Just then he heard a rustling. He was being watched. He walked a little and stopped quickly, and so did the rustling. He remembered a Motolone phrase he sure meant, he was sure, positive he meant, come here. Gaiakaba dobugachi, he yelled. Gaiakaba dobugachi. Later he learned that what he's actually saying was, come here, you lazy, worthless people. <laughs> a small setback he was just unaware of. After two months of laying out his gifts, he was getting tired and angry. And one day after checking on his gifts, he ran back to the camp and began just chopping down trees. He's going to build a raft and get out of there. After he felled the second tree, he looked, and before them were six Montalone Indians, arrows knocked. Bruce jumped behind a tree and dropped his axe. Peering out from the tree, he showed him his hands. They're empty. The Montalones loosened their arrows. One of them stepped forward. Bruce remembered him. He was the only nice member he met. And here, he found him again. Bruce smiled. He smiled back. Bruce smiled bigger. The Motolone smiled bigger back. 
Then this man turned to his friends and they began jabbering and talking and laughing. And Bruce laughed too, but he wasn't sure about what. The men led Bruce back to, to, to their clearing and soon every tribe member was poking him and pulling at his arm hair and pulling at his unusual blonde hair right from his head. He had done it. He had done it. God had allowed him to make contact once again with the Motalones. That evening, they allowed him to, his own hammock to sleep in. It was tied into the rafters of their hut. It was a 10-foot climb. And Bruce fell a couple times to their amusement, but, but he finally made it. And while lying there, he heard the explosive Motalone language as they sung just swaying in their hammocks. Soon, he would understand what he heard. But he was home and drifting off to sleep. The next day, they, they traded names. Bruce Olson, he said, pointing to himself. One man tried to say, say it. Bruchalonga, he said. Bruce Shika said, no, Bruce Olson. He tried again. Bruchko. Bruce Olson, he said. The man smiled and nodded. Bruchko, he said. He turned and happily told the entire clan, Bruchko. And, and soon the entire group, it spread. His name is Bruchko. He was a celebrity. They mimicked his speech. They squeezed his arms. They rubbed his belly. They would watch him eat. Everything he did was interesting to them. Right away, Bruce was working on the language. So with the kids, he decided to do the, the little act of removing his eye and then, and then cleaning it. And then he would put it back. And then he would take out both eyes and pretend to clean them and put them back in cross-eyed. Each time he would listen and write down what he heard. And through this little game, he was able to pick up the future, past, and present tenses as the children described to each other what he's going to do next. So for a couple days, he watched also the men make arrows, and he tried it himself, but it required a great deal of practice. He would watch the women weave, but like making arrows, this is only interesting for a day or so. He began to wish that the day was only three hours long. He made himself listen to their meaningless jabbering till he was too tired. A fog of depression, depression began to cover him, but why? I mean, the Motolones were a cheerful, gentle people. One day, he saw two brothers fighting, and the mother picked up a chicken head and began to gently peck at the boy's legs. The son burst into tears. This was the harshest form of punishment Bruce ever saw. But there were certainly things Bruce was not attracted to. The communal home that housed 80 or so people would have been a perfect place for cooperative living. But each family lived a life of its own. If one family had too much food while the other family didn't have enough, they didn't share any access. Whatever they did have was just simply thrown away. One family might live alongside another family member, and they would never exchange names. The population of a home changed constantly. One family might pack up and leave just without any warning, and no tears were ever shed. No sign of pain or sadness were ever shown. They didn't seem to have those emotions, and it made their smiles and constant laughter seem pointless to them. When you get down to it, Bruce thought, these are uncivilized Indians with none of the feelings I can relate to, he said. And why was the language so hard? He was making very little progress and didn't want to wait three months like the Yukas to be able to communicate. He tried to look for shortcuts, but he couldn't find any. One day he lay in his hammock watching the cockroaches crawl across the ceiling when a boy brought him some food. What is your name, Bruce asked. After almost a year, this was the limit of what he could communicate. Kobedra, he said. 
Bruce guessed that he was probably about 13 years old because he didn't ha yet have a G-string that was the sign of a Motolone man. They sat there looking at each other while they ate. It was the day of the big Motolone fishing expedition, and, and Cobedra urged Bruce to go with him. Cobedra offered his spear to Bruce for him to try. <laughs> Bruce threw the spear several times and failed. Try again, he said. Bruce grabbed the spear and mimicked the rest of the tribe by yelling and screaming. Well, the next morning he woke up and his throat was sore from all the yelling and he could hardly talk. And later his voice was a lot lower than usual. That afternoon when he got hungry, he went to Cabedra and he asked him for a banana. Cabedra left and brought him an axe. So he asked again and Cabedra gave him the axe. Then he had a crazy thought. He pinched his nose and this time making his voice higher, he asked for a banana. Cabedra left and returned with a banana. The Motolones had a tonal language. Every book he ever read about tonal <laughs> languages said that they don't exist in South America. It's a huge breakthrough. And Cobedra was someone he could talk to without feeling embarrassed. And Cobedra's father was a distinguished member of the tribe and he was sensitive to his son's friendship with Bruce and so he encouraged the relationship. <laughs> he came to Bruce one day and told him to follow him and they went outside and Cobedra was there looking nervous. Two other Motolone men were there and they all walked into the jungle without saying a word stopping at a little clearing. Cobedra's father solemnly produced a G-string. And Bruce realized with a chill, he was about to see Cobedra become a man. It was a little ceremony that ended with Cobedra slipping on this G-string proudly and his father turning to Bruce and to the others. He said, his name is Boberi Shora. He is a man. He's no longer called Cobedra. From now on, his name is Boberi Shora. Bruce tried to pronounce the name, but he couldn't, he couldn't manage it. So Bruce finally gave up and said, Bobby. That name seemed to fit. The others tried it too, Bobby. And from then on, the whole tribe adopted Bobby as this new man's name. Afterwards, Bruce was bewildered. He knew that during these ceremonies, a pact was established for those who were invited. But for him, there was none. So Bruce asked Bobby's brother to make him arrows so that he could be a pact brother with Bobby. When the day came, Bruce exchanged his arrows with Bobby. Bobby looked them over. He seemed very pleased with them. These are beautiful arrows, Bobby said. I accept you as my brother. They sang the traditional song of brotherhood. We are brothers and there is nothing in the world that can take us apart. Soon afterwards, Bruce went walking the trails with Bobby and Bruce noticed that Bobby followed him. Well, this meant that Bobby accepted Bruce as his personal leader, someone that Bobby looked up to. While walking this day, Bobby very quietly said, Bruce, I am named in the heavens. Bruce didn't understand. What about Bobby Shara? No, Bobby shook his head. My real name is in the heavens. That's my secret name. He explained that every Motolone has a secret name that is his real identity. Only the father and a few others knew it. And if someone knows it, it gives you complete power over that person. So you're telling me your secret name and giving me power over your life, Bruce said. And when Bobby nodded, Bruce reached out and hugged him. He then began to cry, for although everything about them was different, Bruce realized that he had found something that his heart was longing for, for years, a friend. One afternoon, after walking the trails with Bobby, Bobby told him that his father had died, and his body was still in the hammock. Bobby showed no expression, no tears. 
Some men took Bobby's father in the hammock and they tied it high up in the trees so the vultures could come and pick at the body. After this, Bruce wanted to see the chief of the tribes, but he learned that this man thought Bruce was a cannibal waiting to kill him. In fact, when Bruce left the Motolones the first time, the chief came the very next day ready to kill him. But Bruce demanded that he see him. After convincing some members to take him there, they began walking when Bruce got real sick. Then one Motolone asked, Bruce, how do you get your eyes to be that color? Can we do that too? What color? Asked Bruce. Oh, just such a pretty yellow color. Yellow? He wondered, oh no, he has hepatitis, and it's still a three-day journey to the chief. He needed a hospital, and so the Motolones pressed on until they came to a clearing, and there the chief came out to kill Bruce. But the others said that they couldn't kill a sick man. Just then, a helicopter flew overhead. Bruce begged to be brought outside. When the helicopter noticed a white man he put down in a clearing, picked up Bruce and brought him to the nearest hospital. He spent three weeks in the hospital recovering. If he had stayed just hours longer in the jungle, he would have been dead. Against the doctor's wishes, he said, I'm going back. And before he left, he asked the doctor for medicines for the Motolones. The doctor, out of compassion, illegally gave Bruce any necessary item. Bruce returned with the medicines and flea collars, but he needed a way to dispense these valuable items to the people in the jungle. The Motolones already had their very old ways of doing things, the witch doctor. We don't need you, they told Bruce. We have our own ways. Soon afterwards, a breakout of pink eye occurred and everyone in the whole tribe was miserable. The witch doctor would chant her incantations sometimes for 20 hours a day. And Bruce came to her and he told her that he had a potion called teramycin that would work. But the witch doctor completely refused him. He thought, how could I use the witch doctor without destroying her crucial role in the society? You see, he had known other missionaries who got rid of the witch doctor because they said that they were calling on demons. But that wasn't true in the Motolones. The witch doctor tried to help by praying to God the best way that they knew how. Then he had an idea. He went to someone with pink eye and he stuck his finger in his eye and pulled out all the pus and just rubbed it all in his own. Within days, Bruce developed pink eye and the witch doctor began doing her chants, but they didn't work, as Bruce would know. He suggested that she rub the teramycin in his eye and finally, she relented and did it. Soon, Bruce was better, but the witch doctor wasn't ready to use it on, on her own people. A couple days later, Bruce saw her fatigued, leaving a house. What is causing all this sickness, he asked. The evil spirits are showing their power, and I'm chanting to call on God to heal them, she replied. Well, why doesn't he do it, Bruce asked. Because we've deceived God, she said sadly. How did you deceive God? A prophet once came to us and said that he could show us where there is better hunt. And so we followed him and left God. When did this happen? Many, many, many years ago. We have only heard the story, but we know we are far from God. They talked more, and now she trusted Bruce, and she used the medicines on her people. Within three days, everyone was better. Bruce, through the witch doctor, was able to introduce more ways of helping people. He was able to uh, also to help the, the chief through the, through the um, title of the chief, the role of the chief to introduce cattle and corn. And within a few years, there were eight health centers, and the health centers were completely staffed by Motolone people. They had not been required or asked, up to, asked to give up their way of life. He had been there four years, four years, and he still couldn't find a way to tell them about Jesus. 
He knew too much about their beliefs that for every thought he had about talking to them, he knew that they would just say, oh, that's the white man's way. Bruce prayed earnestly, Jesus, take me out of the way. Jesus, become, become a motelon. Afterwards, after that prayer, something significant happened. Bruce and Bobby and a few others were traveling from one communal home to another when Bruce heard excruciating yells that seemed to come from many mouths. The crisis seemed more desperate as, and, as Bruce quickened his pace. He had never heard a motelon cry out like this. But Bobby and the others just kept strolling along. Stop, Bruce yelled. What's the shouting? Why are people shouting? Can we help? Bobby hung his head. Another man, a witch doctor, said, there's nothing we can do, Bruchko. But what is happening over there? Bruce asked, but no one answered. Bruce got agitated. Maybe you don't care, but I'm going to go see if I can help. Bobby and the group still didn't answer, and Bruce noticed something he had never seen before. The Motolones were sad. You don't have to come with me, Bruce said, and he turned toward the voices, and the others followed him. When Bruce got closer, he saw two men, one he knew well, a fierce warrior who would kill oil executives for their hard hats so he could use them for cooking. He was, standing in, he was standing in front of a giant hole he had dug. It was at least six feet deep. And in a desperate voice, searching voice, he was shouting, God, come out of the hole! The other man was high up in the tree, stuffing leaves into his mouth, shouting, God, come from the horizon! It was the strangest sight he had ever seen. Bobby and the others walked next to Bruce, and they looked sad and embarrassed. You knew about this? Bruce asked. Bobby nodded. What's the matter? Bobby explained that the brother of the man shouting in the hole had died in a region that was not his home. This meant that his language, his spirit, his life could never get to God beyond the horizon. Now the man was trying to look for God to get him to bring back his brother's language to his body, back to live in his body. What makes him think that they can find God by calling into a hole? Bobby shrugged. It's as good as any other place to look. This, this is why God let Bruce live. He was there to tell them where they could find God. It's no point, the man shouting into the hole said, we've been deceived. Bruce asked again, and he heard the whole story about the false prophet deceiving them. Then the man in the tree tried to explain to another Motolone legend. Bruce didn't understand it, but he did understand at that moment that the Motolones have an acute sense of lostness. And a great discussion began. The man from the tree reminded Bruce again about the prophet who would tell them about God, and God would come out of the banana stalks. Why would God come from a banana stalk, Bruce asked. The men looked puzzled as why Bruce would ask such a ridiculous question. <laughs> then Bobby cut a chunk out of the banana stalk nearby, and he split it with a machete. The leaves were still in the stalk waiting to come out, and it looked like pages of a book. Book, book. The, the, the words just raced through Bruce's mind. He grabbed the Bible from his pack. This is God's banana stalk. The man from the tree grabbed the Bible, tore out some pages, and began stuffing them in his mouth. When nothing happened, he asked Bruce, why? The Motolones thought that if you eat God's word, you will have a new language, a new life. How is Bruce going to explain that God and Jesus had been like them? 
Then he remembered another Motolone legend about a Motolone that became an ant. It goes like this. A man was sitting on a trail after a hunt, and he noticed some ants trying to build a home. And he wanted them to build a good home, like the Motolone's home. So he started digging in the dirt, and he realized that he was so big and so unknown that the ants were afraid, and they ran away. Then miraculously, the Motolone became an ant. He thought like an ant, he looked like an ant, and he spoke the language of ants, and they trusted him. He told, them, he told them that before he became an ant, he was a motalone, and he had tried to help them, but he scared the ants. Then the ants said their version of, no kidding, that was you? And they laughed with him. Then at that moment, he was turned into, back into a motalone, and now when he tried to help them, the ants let him because they knew him and trusted him. It was a perfect parallel for what God had done in Jesus. Bruce took the word for becoming like an ant and used it for the incarnation. God is incarnated into man, he said. Bobby and the others gasped, <gasps> stunned by the very idea. Where did he walk? The witch doctor asked in a whisper. Because you see, every moat alone had his own trail. It's your personal point of identity. You walk on someone else's trail if you want to find him. God would have a trail too. If you want to find God, then you need to walk on his trail. Bruce's heart was pounding. This was five years in the making. Jesus Christ is God become man and he can show you God's trail. A look of astonishment and fear came over them. The man who had been shouting into the hole said in a coarse whisper, show us Christ. Bruce fumbled for an answer. You killed Christ. His eyes got big. I killed Christ? How did I do that? Bruce then asked, how do evil and death and deception find power over the Motolone people? Through the ears, Bobby answered. Because language is so important to the Motolones, it is the essence of life. If evil language comes, if evil comes in, it comes in through the ears. And when it comes, it means death. Bruce continued, do you remember how after a hunt for wild boar, a leader would cut the skin off of the animal and put it over his head to cover the ears to keep out the evil spirits from the jungle? They nodded closely. Jesus Christ was murdered. But just as you pull the skin over the chieftain's head to hide the ears, so Jesus, when he died, he pulled his blood over your deception. And it hides your deception from the sight of God. Bruce stood looking at them, hoping they would understand, and they did. Then he picked up a Bible and he opened it. He says, the Bible speaks that Jesus came alive after death. He's alive today. One of the men grabbed the book and held it to his ear. I don't hear anything. Bruce took it back and he said, the way the Bible speaks does not change. It's, it's like the papers of your speech that I have. They, they, they are the same word day after day after day. The, the Bible says that Jesus came to life. It is his banana stock. No one has ever come back to life in Motolone history, one man said. I know, Bruce replied but Jesus did. It's proof that he really is God's son. They asked more questions, many he didn't understand, but he prayed at that moment that God would use this conversation in their lives. One evening around the fire, Bobby began to ask questions like, how can I walk Jesus' trail, Bruchko? No moat alone has ever done it. It's a new thing, and there's no moat alone to tell us how to do it. Bobby, Bruce said, do you remember my first festival of the arrows? The first time I had seen all the Motolones gathered to sing? 
And this festival was so, such that it was the most important ceremony in the Motelon culture. Bobby nodded and fire flared momentarily and Bruce saw his eyes staring at him. Bruce continued, do you remember I was afraid to climb high into the hammocks for the fear that the rope would break? And, and I told you that I would sing only if I could have one foot in the hammock and one foot on the ground? Yes, Bruchko, Bobby answered. What did you say to me, Bobby? Bobby laughed. I told you that you have to have both feet in the hammock. You have to be suspended, I said. Yes, Bruce said. You have to be suspended. That is how it is when you follow Jesus, Bobby. No man can tell you how to walk his trail. Only Jesus can tell you. But to find out, you have to tie your hammock strings into him and be suspended in God. Bobby said nothing, the fire dancing in his eyes. Then he stood up and he walked out into the darkness. The next day, Bobby came to Bruce. Bruchko, he said, I want, I want to tie my hammock strings into Jesus. How can I? I can't touch him. I can't see him. Oh, Bobby said, I see now. Oh, wait, sorry, I missed the line. You've talked to the spirits, haven't you? Talked to them before? Asked Bruce. Oh, Bobby said, I, I see now. The next day, Bobby had a big grin on his face. Bruchko, he said, I've tied my hammock strings into Jesus. I now speak a new language. Bruce didn't understand what he meant. Have you learned some of the Spanish that I speak? He asked. Bobby laughed a sweet laugh. No, I speak a new language. And Bruce understood. Language is life. If Bobby had a new language, he had a new life. Bruce put his arm around Bobby. He remembered what it was like when he became a follower of Jesus. Bobby was, was experiencing this now. He had begun to walk with Jesus. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, Bobby shouted, so that the sound filtered far off into the jungle. He has walked our trails. I have met him. From that day, the relationship between Bruce and Bobby was enhanced by their love for Jesus. They talked constantly about him. Bobby asked so many questions, but he never asked what was the color of Jesus' hair? What was the color of his skin? Because to Bobby, Jesus had dark skin, dark eyes. He hunted with a bow and arrow. Jesus was a moat alone. Bruce was laying in his hammock the next morning when he heard some commotion. Tiger, I couldn't move, a man outside was saying. Bruce asked someone, what is happening? The man looked shaken. Didn't you hear? The tiger spoke. What tiger? Bruce asked. Spoke what? Tigers don't speak. If they do, who cares? <laughs> oh, when the tiger speaks, said the man, we're in big trouble. Bruce then walked away and found the chief. The chief said that, that the tiger says that the spirits will come out of the rocks tonight. Lives will end. Languages will be snuffed out. Then Bobby found Bruce. Bruchko, Bobby asked him, can Jesus ever be taken out of my mouth? There was fear in his voice. What is this all about, Bobby? The spirits come out of the rocks, Bruchko. They try to kill. Sometimes one dies, sometimes many, but someone always dies. Can Jesus be taken out of my mouth, Bruchko? Bruce didn't have an answer. I don't know, Bobby. Ask Jesus. He's the only one who has the answer to your question. He'll tell you in your heart. Bruce went for a walk, and when he returned, it was nearly dark. As soon as he entered the clearing, he noticed the house swaying and heard strange incantations and songs. He was almost afraid to enter. Inside, the fires cast an eerie glow. The men were up in the hammocks, chanting to ward off the evil. The women were on the floor, clasping rocks together. And then Bruce saw Bobby. He was swinging in his hammock. 
Bruce grabbed the poles that supported Bobby's hammock and he shimmied up them nearly 20 feet. When he got up there, he saw Bobby smiling and listening. He heard Bobby's song. It was different from all the others. Jesus is in my mouth, Bobby sang. I have a new speech. Jesus is in my mouth. No one can take him from me. I speak Jesus' words. I walk Jesus' steps. I am Jesus' boy. He has filled my stomach. I'm no longer hungry. And when dawn came, no one had died. It was the first in anyone's memory. And although no one asked about Bobby's song, Bruce could tell that many people had a newfound interest in Bobby. Bruce noticed over a number of weeks that Bobby began to change. He was less proud. He, he wasn't as stubborn anymore. The men of the tribe noticed this change and wondered what, what caused it. Bruce was eager for Bobby to tell the other Motolones, but, but Bobby wasn't doing it. Was it because he doesn't care for them, he wondered? Bruce was becoming impatient. Word spread that there would be another festival of the arrows. Packs would be formed, arrows would be exchanged, and the men forming the packs would be, have a singing contest like they do every year, high up in the hammocks. People streamed into the home that evening. Word spread about Bobby and how no one died the night of the tiger. An older chief had a new interest and respect for Bobby, and on the first night, he challenged him to song. That night, Bobby climbed into his hammock. This is what he sang. Jesus Christ was incarnated into man. He has walked our trails. He is God, yet we can know him. The home was deathly silent. Everyone was listening. The song continued for eight hours, 10 hours. Attention didn't slack. Finally, after 14 hours, they quit singing and climbed down from the hammock. The next day, the chief found Bobby. You've communicated true news. He said, I too want to suspend myself in Jesus. I want to pull my, his blood over my deception. That night, a spiritual revolution swept over the people. No one who heard rejected the news about Jesus. There was tremendous jubilation. God had spoken. He had spoken in the Motolone language and through the Motolone people. The celebration continued long into the night as little groups would break out into spontaneous song. Bruchko, Bruce Olson, he, he risked his life. He faced death several times to bring eternity, eternity into the hearts of men and women in the Amazon. Bruce still lives with the Motolone people. Over the past 40 years, he's gained an incredible influence He's the friend of many Colombian presidents and has even spoken before the UN on, on issues regarding the people of the Amazon. This is an incredible story. It is one of my favorites. But it's God's story that's amazing. It's his story. It's the story of Christ. This story, this is the story that found the Motolones in their brutality in their nakedness, they were found, and it changed them forever. What about you? Do you speak a new language? Do you walk Jesus' trail? Do you even see the sacrifice that God made sending Jesus Christ for you? Or are we just so much more intelligent 
so much better than the people that live in the jungles of the Amazon that, that we can't see the beauty of what God did for us. What about forgiveness for, the, for our past? A real forgiveness for what we've done. For the Motolones, it was the deception of God. What is it for you? The Motolones realized that they needed to be forgiven for their deception. They, they knew they needed to be clean again. And we can be so different from them. And we can justify and rationalize and pretend that, that we're in no need of forgiveness for our lives. Bobby tied his hammock strings into Jesus. He was suspended. He had to trust that Jesus would hold him and take care of him and change him. Change him. Bobby began to change. His life was being renewed from the inside out. Bobby needed a new life. And when he met Jesus, it wasn't a brief encounter that made him happy. When he met Jesus, he spoke a new language. Not only did he speak a new language, but he walked a new trail. You know, that's what God wants from you. Receiving Jesus into your life is not a decision of a moment, but it, it, it is a decision of a, of a lifetime. Our lives are so short on earth, so short. We're all worried about what happens here, but what happens here determines eternity. A new life, a new trail, a changed life, a new love. But we can be so callous because we've heard this before. We, we've heard about Jesus. We, we know it. And yet for some of us, if we were to really look at our lives, if we were to really look at our lives, most of us look at our lives, if we're honest, there's not been any change. None. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. The world. The good news is, is beautiful precisely because it is for everyone. It, it doesn't distinguish for everybody. And it doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter what you look like or what culture you come from. The love of God through Jesus Christ extends to everyone. Has the message, guys, has the message of the gospel, real forgiveness, real hope come to you? Have you suspended yourself in Jesus and trusted him that he can give you a new language? Have you done that? Here's an old journal of mine. It, it, it's, it's filled. It, it dates back over 10 years ago. My senior year in college, I came to a point where I remember saying, I remember picking, looking at the Bible and reading it and going, God, I, I believe this stuff. Like, like when I'm reading about what Paul did in his journeys and about how Jesus is the only hope for, I believe this stuff. God, you've changed my, I know you've changed my life. At that point, I realized that, that I was writing the story of my life. 
And I had that storyline very close to me. The pen was in my hand. But senior year, I gave to the Lord Jesus and I said, Lord, you write. God, you write it. Write my life. Here I am, Jesus. You are the hope of the world. You're the hope of the entire world. Break me for people. Break my heart for people. Lord, help me to invest in things that will far outlast me. I, I, don't, I don't want to settle for what I... My story is junk. But Lord, I want your story. I don't, I don't want to settle, Lord Jesus. You write it. And again and again and again, the word just kept coming back to me like a flood. Give it away. Give it away. Mike, just give your life away. Just give it away. I, I remember just saying, God, okay, as long as you come with me, Mike, till the ends of the earth. Oh, man, I remember, to the ends of the earth. Let me ask you a question. How big is your world? I mean, how big is the story that you think about your life and impact that this one man had in changing the eternity of the Motolone tribe? All I can say is, young people, you will not regret giving your life away. You will never regret that. Trust me. When you stand before Jesus and listen, believer or somebody who's wondering or somebody who does not believe in Jesus, you all, we all will stand before the judge. And not one of us will ever say, I think I gave you too much. I wasted my life for you, Jesus. I told people about Jesus too many times. God, I wasted my time with you. Waste. No way. No way. You'll say with me, Jesus, oh, Jesus, I wish I could have done more. I wish I could have done more. I wish I could have done more. Would you guys pray with me? Father, I thank you that when you sent Jesus, he said, I have to go away because if I don't go away, then, then the helper won't come. And Lord, thank you that we are the new temple. And Lord, that you're taking people from every tribe, tongue, language, nation, and you're bringing them together in a great assembly called the church. And the only thing that will last forever and ever and ever is gonna be the church. It is not a, it is not a, a minor storyline in the world, it is the thing that you are doing in the world. Lord, I don't even know how to respond myself when I, when I read this story again. And I just say, thank you, Lord, for the Bruce Olsons. Thank you, Lord, for his obedience. Lord, help me to be obedient to your call. Lord, we just tell you we want to please you. Lord, maybe we're like the man who says, I do believe, help, help my unbelief. Lord, grant us repentance, grant us faith. Lord, grant us a love for you that outstrips anything that this world can give. In the great name of Jesus, we pray, amen.